guys. Whilst we're all waiting for series two, we thought we'd put out a few good highlights from series one. And of course, I'm Colette Cooper, your host of Sisters in the Shadows. As you know, this podcast is all about the ladies, the women who shape the genre and continue to inspire musicians today. So this week, we're going to take a look back at all the icons who were praised by the fantastic guests over the series one. We'll look at the obvious giants like Bessie and Billy, but also some of the ones who don't always get a mention. So I'm going to start off with someone who was often overshadowed by her husband, Louis Prima. Yes, of course, I'm talking about the wonderful Keely Smith. She was a major influence on Rachel Sutton, who is an amazing singer. When we spoke, I asked her where she found out about Keely. I loved Louis Prima. I loved his voice. I loved yeah. his phrasing. I loved his huskiness. I loved his incredible personality when yeah. he sings. And then suddenly in these fantastic recordings, you hear this pitch perfect, <laughs> I know, yeah. mind blowing woman floating in over the top, yeah. thinking, hang on a bloody minute, where's yeah. her record? Oh, thank you, Rachel. That was the amazing Rachel Sutton. And her album, A Million Conversations, comes out early next year. So please go and get that. It's amazing. Now, Camilla George. Oh. I just melt even when I say her name. She's fabulous. Now, she came up through Tomorrow's Warriors, who I've featured, as you know, several times in this podcast. Now, Camilla's career has been skyrocketing, but she told me her highlight so far was opening for the one and only Dee Dee Bridgewater. And it would be for me too, actually. Yeah, yeah. How was that? That was so great. Got, you got to meet. I know you, you actually um, work with her daughter. You play with her daughter. Yeah, um, China. Yeah, yeah, China. And um, it was also brilliant. But you, yeah, you talked great. to me about Dee Dee. Well, that was great. That was actually the late, great uh, John Cummings who put that together. Because right. I've known, you know, obviously Sirius and the Warriors have a very close relationship. So I've always seen members of the Sirius teams at the gigs yeah. as I've been growing up and um, John gave me, a, uh, he sent me an email when I was actually at the Ronnie Scott's Late Show. I think it was about 3 a.m. Yeah. in the morning. And he was like, oh, um, would you be out for opening for Dee Dee? And I was like, yes. Would you? <laughs> yes, definitely. <laughs> think about that. Oh. I know. But okay. it was it was one of those ones where it's yeah. like, um, you know, it was, it, was a, it was a wicked gig. It was um, a really great experience to play a band with sick and we we had a great time and she's just such a generous and supportive person um she's, she's yeah she's a real you know she really champions um musicians um and i think yeah she's well she's a legend isn't she it was her oh, 70th birthday uh, the other day we i sent, know um china did a special uh show on worldwide fm that was wicked Oh, she's 70. She doesn't look it, does she? She doesn't, no, not at all. Now, as we know, when it comes to icons, they don't get much bigger than, who else? Aretha, of course. 
Her influence can be heard in all kinds of music. Now I asked the brilliant singer and broadcaster and comedian, the one and only Ian Shaw, what he thought made Aretha so special. It's really interesting question that because it's a sort of glorious, almost like a gathering storm, I think, you know, so it goes from one stepping stone to the next. So as a kid, I think I, my mum, you know, she ironed to family favourites for 25 years. So we heard things like Sandy Shaw, Dusty Springfield, Scylla Black. When I was really little, so three, four, five, Lulu really, really touched me because I just thought, wow, that's such a raw sound, you know. So it was kind of, and all those, I then realised that all the styles and the phrasing of those very famous TV pop singers whose singles and records I had, you know, from Flint Market, mm. they all, their style came from black American music. So then, right. yeah, I'm sure you felt the same. So when, when I got to 14 and 15, I realized that Aretha Franklin existed and that yes. without doubt, without doubt, her sound, her gospel chops, her politics, her strength totally changed my life. Totally. Yeah. From that one album, um, Young, Gifted and Black, I could not get enough of it. And I didn't understand where that came from. I didn't. How can she do that? You know, so I think I I used to copy. I used to learn all the songs I had. By the time I was 16, I probably had about 25 Aretha albums that my dad had got me from Chester. Penny Lane Records. Chester. Love Chester. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. (laughs) And um, I learned them. I learned all those songs from Aretha. So I learned them all wrong. So when she sang, you know, uh, what I did for love from chorus line, it yeah. was like instead of it being kiss today goodbye, she just went mm, kiss today goodbye. Yeah, just oh. me. Oh, I love then, you singing to me. Again. Carry on. <laughs> and she's on. And I just and then when I learned the originals, I thought, oh my god, relearn them all again. So I yeah. love the fact that she was already. Um, even as a, you know, that album she did when she was 17 years old is just oh beyond belief, you know, the no, first 12 sides, you know. So it's definitely woman. Aretha Franklin and then uh, Nina Simone. I saw, Nina that Simone. was the first artist I saw in London was Nina Simone really? at Ronnie's. Yeah. Oh my yeah. God, what did you think? Was she rude to you in the audience? Well, my one regret well, is that I was never able to see Nina Simone because uh, apparently she was notorious, which I love about her, that she was completely rude to people in the audience. She used to say things like, you don't understand me, you don't understand my music. She was just, and I'd love her. I was like, oh, I love it. She'd tell people to sit down. She'd tell people to shut up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think she, to me, she seemed collectively rude to everyone Great. in the world. And I didn't notice that she pointed people out. I stood at the back. I remember the old Ronnie's when you had that ledge at the back near the kitchen, you know? Yeah. And I stood there. I can't remember how I got in. I wangled myself in it. God knows what, 19, 20. I was definitely at university. Yeah. And on she came with um, Paul Robinson on drums, only Paul Robinson on drums, no bass player. And it was so, because I'd had all her albums, you know, from my dad. And I thought, oh my goodness gracious me, she's actually the same as she is on the albums in the room. Yeah, and um, I and then I got to know Pete King really well when I started working with Ronnie Scott's band and yeah. doing late shows there and things and the stories, you know. <laughs> oh, <laughs> those stories! I love yeah. the stories of Ronnie's. You know, Pete, Pete, no Ronnie. I think it was Ronnie Scott got a phone call from a friend of his and said, uh, "Have you got Have you got Nina Simone on tonight?" And Ronnie yeah. said, uh, "Yeah, there's Q all the way down to Soho Square." And he said, "Well, 
She's currently asleep in her spaghetti in my <laughs> restaurant in Fulham. <laughs> so, you know, she she was. Was she? Oh my God. She, yeah. So, the, you know, it, I, all those stories are just fascinating. You know, the kind of suffering artist. That was the amazing Ian Shaw. Love him. Love him. And as well as Aretha, Ian mentions Nina Simone, who of course was another giant in blues and jazz. Sisters in the Shadows is in aid of Nordif Robbins. Nordif Robbins is the largest independent music therapy charity in the UK, dedicated to enriching the lives of people affected by life-limiting illnesses, isolation or disability. Their music therapists are expertly trained to tune into each movement, reaction and expression of the individuals they work with to discover how music can enrich their lives. They are absolutely brilliant but they receive no government funding and so rely on the generosity of their supporters. Charities like Nordif Robbins are really struggling these days and need your help more than ever. As a musician and a music lover, I know firsthand of the healing powers of music. It can lift your spirits, unite people and touch your heart in ways nothing else can. And the amazing therapists at Nordif Robbins use that power to help some of the most vulnerable people in society. If you love music and care about people, and I know you do, I ask you as a proud ambassador of Nordif Robbins Music Therapy Charity to help support their important work today. Just go to nordif-robbins.org.uk to find out more. That's nordif-robbins.org.uk. Now I'm a huge fan of this lady, Sammy Stein. Sammy is an award-winning jazz journalist and author of many brilliant books, to name a few, All That's Jazz and Women in Jazz, and her latest one, which is just incredible, Gender Disparity in UK Jazz. One of the pioneers of jazz that Sammy has written about is sweet Emma Barrett. Oh, and she really is sweet. She's incredible. I was asked to do a piece by the um, the Library of Congress. and Yeah. Even after I pointed them out that I wasn't a US writer, because I think yeah. you're supposed to be, but they said, oh, yeah, it doesn't you know, matter. Just, hey, just don't tell matter. everybody, just don't tell yeah. so I have. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, <laughs> anyway, I mean, she was 66 when she became famous. She was, um, a, she was um, a, a black lady, she was a lady. And so I mean, she had all this going against her, and yet she had a I mean, her personality, it, I mean, she made me laugh even just reading on the history because, like, she she hates flying. So what she'd do yeah. is she'd go go on a train, take all her food in this big hat box that she kept yeah. her money in and everything. If I love it. You know, and um, she would just Such arrive at these venues with, um, like, messy clothes and a, and a big hat box in, in which was absolutely everything that she owned. Yeah. And I just, you know, and... When women sort of came and sort of spoke to her from the audience, she was quite feisty with them. And <laughs> I kind of think, yeah, I wish I could be like that, you know. Yeah. And, yeah. and, what, and she wore those little bells and stuff in her hair. She was oh, very, gosh. very eccentric. <laughs> and she, she didn't yeah. really give a shit, did she? She just, no. you know, doing her own thing. What I love about her is that she was self-taught, you yeah. know. And I, I loved that because she's great. Yeah. And she's self-taught, you know. She didn't have the luxury of going to a music school and... You know, she just did no. it. And um, she managed to keep a kind of mystery because she disappeared for nine years. Yeah. Why Why was that? Do you know? 
Well, I think because um, I actually tracked down the guy who did the sleeve note when yeah. he was this was nineteen sixty four, but he was also the doctor for for the little band that went out from the Preservation Hall. And yeah. I, I think she probably had a child. I mean, that's that's my theory. Yeah. So somebody correct me, please, if I'm wrong. But I mean, why not? You know. <laughs> yeah. Why <laughs> not? Because I mean, she went. She was thirty nine then, and then she disappeared, yeah. and and then she came back later. But she was sixty six before she really became famous and i love that that's mm. what i love you know and she just kept at it because she just loved it mm, it's exactly. her passion and that's what she just kept doing and it wasn't something even that after she, felt she, she, had to stop. I mean, she could only use one one arm you know yeah. Uh, towards the end of her life but she used to put, still play the piano I and i had a grandmother who who did that she no used to play a wonderful piano with one arm she was disabled completely down one side and you know um there's that I, I was just thinking yeah my grand did that and here's somebody really famous doing that you yeah know? now i've loved every single one of my guests in series one because otherwise i wouldn't have them on right they've been all brilliant just just lovely lovely humans but one of my favorites was zoe gilby her big influence was carmen mccray and i asked her how she discovered her so she told me it would have been when my dad came and knocked on my bedroom door like, you like this? You want to check out Carmen McRae? And he yeah. actually had, um, it was Carmen McRae sings the Great American Songbook. And yeah. it just blew my mind. It was like, yeah, she's amazing. Who, who is this? You know, yeah. it's just like, obviously our, our tone and stuff is quite, it's it's beautiful, but it's got, it's, it's very unique. It's very unusual. It was And very, very character. Yeah, you know, she's got so much character in it. And she, she you know, you can feel the stories through her soul. Yeah, definitely. But it was the improvising. It was like, yeah, how sh she's singing it like this. Now I was used to sort of vocalists improvising around a melody and stuff. And yeah. so it wasn't that, that, you know, shocked us. It was like a lot of our scat singing and stuff was just a bit different. Yeah. Just how she did, like you say, put that character into it. And it was like, ah, and she was just really fearless and quite, you know, quite, quite formidable. In some ways. She had quite a life, didn't she? She had quite yeah. a life and she's quite kind of, Bit, a little bit parallel to Nina Simone a little bit. She started off playing the piano. Uh, she came into singing later. She was a, a good friends, as you know, with uh, Billie Holiday. And she, you know, mustn't be forgotten. And because she's kind of been in the shadows a little bit of the Billie Holidays, you yeah. know, the Ella Fitzgeralds. You know, you don't hear many people talking about her yeah. as much as the, sort of the, the rest of them, really. But she was definitely up there with them. You know, she was definitely, definitely up there with them. And she was, you know, just, just amazing. Well, wasn't she? She was really good pals with Dizzy Gillespie. That's right. Well, he kind of, I think she was playing the piano at that time, wasn't yeah. she? When he, yeah. when they met up and he was like, okay, come on. Got a lovely little story. My parents actually. Oh yeah, go on. Yeah. Tell us. Dizzy Gillespie and Carmen McQueen. No. 70s. Yeah. It's, oh, it's an amazing story. So they were living in Glasgow. It was weird. Yeah my brothers and I um, and they had a friend who threw a, a huge party and they were invited to this party it was just marquee tents and you know alcohol and food and bands and stuff it wasn't like a festival that he put on but it was just like a big a big knees up shall we say yeah it's like he was a bit of a millionaire this friend of theirs and so they were like oh well we'll go we'll have a good time and stuff I don't know what the music would be like we know he likes jazz but he likes loads of other kind of stuff and it was just huge and it was like carnage like everyone was just having a great time and stuff. yeah and uh, he'd flown over Dizzy Gillespie and Carmen McRae in that. No. Yeah, from Amsterdam. They were doing a gig in Amsterdam, flew them over for them to do a set, but didn't tell anyone. That oh, don't. 
Um, you must have paid them a fortune. Cost a fortune. Put them up for the night and everything. Yeah. Um, my dad had no idea, so they're just kind of wandering around, and then just who do they see setting up in the corner? But it was like. <gasps> believe it now they were with a friend uh ruby carter who absolutely loves carmen mccray and she was like carmen mccray as well ruby who's a brilliant <laughs> singer so they just flocked over and they were literally just standing right there and just like had, sort of watched the gig but like apparently what was going on around them the other people at the party just didn't really know what's happening like didn't recognize that it was dizzy gillespie someone very special sharice adams burnett She's literally won every major jazz award going, and deservedly so. She's just, she's mind-blowing. And it's only natural that someone as talented as Charisse would have several influences. I love Ella Fitzgerald, I love Sarah Vaughan, everyone like that, but um, it's Anita Baker and Tony Braxton. I know, and you know what? She's one of my favourites. My Canadian cousin, actually, Lorraine, introduced me to Anita Baker when I was really young, and absolutely... Love her. Like you mentioned, you know, everyone will mention Ella Fitzgerald, Billie Holiday, all the other greats. But, mm. um, you know, not that many people, um, when I speak to them, when we talk about their influences, have mentioned like someone like Anita Baker. Yeah. And she's just, oh, she's one of my favourites. Oh, that's lovely to hear because I, I think with her, soul takes on its, its own little separate, um, stream because yeah. oftentimes soul gets associated with fast licks and, and things like that. But with yeah. her, it's all about tone in my yeah. opinion. Um, and that it makes so much sense when she says that she's, she, one of her biggest influences was Sarah Vaughan because yes. there's deep, full, rich yeah. um, tone rather than, um, rather than anything else. And that's why it makes sense that Tony Braxton came after her. And yes. Um, yeah, but just beautiful, just beautiful, and it's all under the same umbrella, you know, like yeah. you said, then. But you know, soul it all stems from one genre, yeah. you know, it's just progressed and uh, beautifully progressed. But it was Billie Holiday when you first heard, heard Billie Holiday in the yeah. film, um, Clueless, <laughs> and uh, I love that, um, Miss Brown to you, the song was. And when you heard that, what did you think? You went, Oh, who's that? Yeah, it was just—it's just such a funny scene because Cher um, is getting in the car with her mate. Oh, yeah, he's left me at the moment. Christian, that's it. Yeah, and then he goes, "Hey, do you like Billy Holiday?" And she's, "Yeah, love him." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, duh. Oh yeah. Yeah, but it made we... me like, gosh, let me just double check what she <laughs> is, and it was hilarious. But that feeling, you know, when you're first getting into an industry or getting yeah. into your craft, yeah, imposter syndrome, because there is that feeling. Oh, interesting. Saying, oh, there's like, oh, you've got to check out this person. You've got to know this person. And you're nodding like, oh God, I don't know who, the, who yeah. who's Betty Carter? Who's Carmen McCray? Yes, yeah, yeah. Hence, you know, Googling as soon, as soon as anyone name drops, I, I would like write down in my little notebook. And that was the one of the first instances that it happened with Clueless. I'm like, okay, I like what I hear. Yeah. Who the hell Billy Holiday? Because it, it, it is funny though when somebody mentions someone and you think, actually, I've not heard of them, yeah. uh, and you feel you kind of feel like, oh God, I feel I should, I should, but yeah. you know that's not always the case. And also, sometimes it, it's about what you're doing, mm. and it's it's about what your creation is. 
mm-hmm. you know yeah. and you don't always have to know everything about everything in order to create what you want to create because it's from you from your soul that's I, coming through yeah that makes sense. you're so right it's like when you're leading with with love pure love for the music yeah the, 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 and trying to find the music of these people not through a sense of guilt or shame but through genuine curiosity and excitement yeah it means that what what i found anyway is that it, it just seeps in way more and it doesn't feel like it's a test now one of the questions i like to ask all my guests was who is the first female jazz musician you heard and what's great is that i get a really different answer every time just like when i spoke to the amazing lucy muscoffian i guess when i was younger i would my mum had this compilation cd um and it was uh it was midnight moods and it had loads of different artists on there um louis armstrong and people like that yeah but i guess was was that the first time you'd heard louis armstrong yeah yeah and like a lot of greats um and it was dinah washington that really that the first person that i heard and i was like whoa what is this this is amazing she's amazing um she's just beautiful her tone is amazing and really expressive um, yeah and the phrasing is great isn't it it's amazing yeah you can feel like the emotion when she's singing about something she, you can hear the connection it's yeah no, she's one of my favorites she's yeah. incredible incredible woman mm-hmm. so can you remember the song that you heard from donna washington yeah it was um it was mad about the boy yes. um just it was just really and I, d- I hadn't realized how much that made an impact until quite recently and um and i was re-listening to the the beginning part the build to her coming in yeah and the trumpet is amazing and the strings building all that tension and then there's like a stop and she comes in um with her first line and it's Mm. it it felt very powerful yeah really really powerful and have you ever tried have you ever sang that song have you given it a go um yeah i mean i guess not not on a performance setting but yeah like in the shower exactly well i i would really love it lucid if you mm. you know do a, a little live gig on instagram another one mm. and i'd like you to sing that do your version because i yeah. think with your vocals are so beautiful yeah thank you you've thank got you really you've got a really lovely tone and texture to your vocals Thank you. Yeah, really I mean, it lovely. would be it would be it would be a good challenge. I mean, that's the thing when you um, when you idolize that a particular artist or a, a song, it's quite difficult to like reach that. Now, for anybody who knows me, there's only one person who started off blues and jazz, and that's the immortal Bessie Smith. She is just for me the queen of it all. She's the best. So it only made sense for me to begin this series talking about her, right? And who else could I talk about her with? Of course, no other than the gorgeous Huey Morgan. I'll try to nutshell this in a way. I was raised yeah. by my mom in New York City in the seventies, right? So my mom was Judy Collins, kind of, you know. Uh, there, there was some like Ray Charles and stuff like that going on, some Willie Colon, but. For the most part, it was like, you know, very, very particular female singer songwriters, right? So what I remember, I don't know, it must have been in in some kind of like music magazine. I'm I'm assuming it's Rolling Stone because that's the only periodical in the 70s that my mother would have had in the house. And it was Judy Collins 
and I remember my mom had it because she was a big Julie Collins. I remember reading it, and she was talking about what what inspired her. And Bessie Smith was somebody that came up, and I was like, "All right, I, I must have remembered that name for 25, 30 years until the internet came around." Right? Yeah. And then I was like, you know, who's this Bessie Smith? That, it was before that. I think I had a couple of her records. I think I bought some forty fives back in there, seventy eights maybe. And in any event, I just always thought there was something really compelling in the way this woman was so. It's the dichotomy. She was so smooth, but yet yeah. so rough around the edges and so such a raw emotional nerve, right? And I just thought, that how did that happen back in the 30s and the 40s in America? How did, yeah. I mean, because you, you know, as, a, as, a, as a, a white kid from New York, you, you don't know what happened down south in, in the previous generations, right? But you can yeah. always imagine the worst, right? So if you're imagining the worst, but yet Bessie Smith can thrive, in this, you know, this containment, really, what they were doing to black folk in the South. Yeah. It, it, it's the it's a triumph of the spirit. So I was really was always trying to see her as she wanted to be seen. So when I wrote the book, I had to I had to cut out a good chunk and like really find out a lot about her. And, and it was great yeah. finding those things because when you do research for books and things like that, you realize that you're you're only scratching the surface of why you love somebody. Then you realize there are so many other uh, variables of, in play that, as to why you love them. And you know, like she used to wear the twenty the twenty dollar gold pieces around her neck in a chain, so that's like original bling. You know, I'm yes. using diamond necklace and all that. <laughs> yeah. on me, right? Yeah. So, uh, all that kind of like really cool swagger, and then. Then, then, she then had you know, like, swag. She has swag, didn't she? I mean, but and just the voice and all the stuff. Imagine it was always. You think about how, like, you know, the Stones or Led Zeppelin were doing their touring. All right, now imagine that before any, because there were two different worlds at that point. There was like Black America and there was White America. So Black America doing whatever the Black America is doing, and Betsy Smith is running it, and happily. You know, taking all these young boys that she meets at the gigs on little road trips to, you know, Vegas. You know, I mean, not and girls. Atlantic and City. Girls. And girls. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She was so unapologetically her yeah, yeah. and authentic at the same time that she's always been one of those women when I think about, well, when I wrote about rebellion and people being compelled to make music, she was the archetype of all the, the rock and roll heroines that have followed her, his soul and, and all that stuff. Even, you know, Maria Callas, I think, yeah, had a little yeah. Bessie Smith in her, you know? She was just, um, you just wouldn't mess with Bessie Smith, would you? You just wouldn't mess with her. <laughs> you know, she'd knock your teeth out, you know. She would knock your teeth she'd out. Do, she'd take the chain off and crack you in the head with it. And that, that's, and that must come through in her voice because I, when I first heard her, I didn't, uh, it was my dad who, who, who told me to listen to her and I didn't know anything about her life or I thought, I thought she was at first, because of her pronunciation, I thought, oh, is she quite posh? And the more, more <laughs> quite the opposite. So when I listened to her more, I just loved this powerful voice. And I thought, actually, it's it's not really posh. It's, she's really, it's just, she's raw. Mm -hmm. She's raw, but she's singing of that time. But you can hear that she's untrained. She's yeah. raw. I mean, it's a rough, yeah. And, and if you think about the way life was different uh, creatively for someone back then, the process was probably completely different. Yeah. There was no time. Um, there was really no time for people who weren't 100 percent authentic. Like that's why she's so amazing, because nowadays we have people who can maybe sing a little bit like her and can act a little bit like her. But deep down, there's no way in hell they could hold a candle to how she had to live her life and the adversity she overcame yeah. and how that 
ingrained itself into her voice and her inflections and the way she sang a certain phrase because you knew it was real it was from here Absolutely. it was contrived she didn't watch it she wasn't in the mickey mouse club when she was young you know all that kind of stuff makes you realize yeah. that it was such a, a trail that was blazed yeah by this woman i mean she exactly. made it possible for for other women to follow her. i mean ed james people like just like really close behind her you know were, yeah. were, we're like and Janis there. Joplin, huge Janis Joplin, fan. Yeah. Early, early Janis That's a great story. Yeah. Yeah. Early recordings of Janis Joplin. It was almost like an impersonation. Um, and of course, you know, she she put the she paid for the headstone. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's, that's the Isn't yeah, that a great story that she she did that over thirty years? She didn't have a on um, Mark Grave for over thirty years, and that's great that Janis Joplin did that. And you can hear, obviously, with her, she's massive influence but i always think um there's there's absolutely no acting in bessie smith there wasn't yeah. like uh there was no ego there was no like putting on an image like as we see a lot of musicians do today and artists because they make you know they turn themselves into a brand and they want yeah. she, she, was so cool. she didn't give a fuck literally imagine saying that to bessie like bessie yeah maybe we're thinking over here at, at, uh, at capital records that maybe you should <laughs> You can use the sake, just the sake of the white folk. Maybe tame it down a little bit. She's like white folk. They listen to my music. I can't tell you how many times Ella Fitzgerald's name comes up in the show. Well, it's bound to, isn't it? As much as Billy and Bessie. Now I had the gorgeous Natalie Williams on, absolute one of my faves, to talk about Ella, and we were absolutely honoured that Natalie gave us a little bit of scatting herself. Ella was the first, I think, because with all the instrumental jazz that my dad was playing, he didn't often play vocalists, but one day yeah. he put on this um, live Ella in Nice Jazz Festival album, uh, and it was just incredible. And the, the fact that she also took like pop songs of the time yeah. um, and kind of jazzed them up and did them in her own jazzy way, that's kind of what really struck me. So it wasn't, and it was her improvising, and yeah. I was just hooked. And suddenly I was like, right, I need to check out everything that Ella Fitzgerald's ever done. Yeah. And yeah, that was it. So now, can you scat? Can you scat? Oh, yeah, I love scatting. <gasps> right, you've got to do a bit of scatting for us. Oh, okay. Um, well, I could do an Ella, speaking of Ella. Oh, yes, please, please, so, please, Natalie, go. Okay. Uh, so, hang on, I'm trying to think of that because I transcribed her How High the Moon solo. Right. <laughs> Oh my god! That was incredible. Do you want to hear my scat? Yeah, go on. It goes like this. You ready? Yeah. I can't scat, but I can yodel. That's that's what jazz jazz mountain yodeling we call that. Now, I've probably mentioned a few times that I'm currently working on a one-woman show about Janis Joplin, which will go into production early next year. So stay tuned for details on that. You should, because it's going to be awesome. 
Inevitably, I thought I'd wind up this reflection on Series 1 with my conversation with a gorgeous Lana May Hodge, who was inspired by Janice. She was inspired by Janice's raw style, talent, energy, voice, of course. But as a clarinetist, she told me about this incredible musician in New Orleans called Doreen Ketchen, who since then I've been Googling her to death and she is amazing. I mean, this woman is incredible. Doreen Ketchen. Check her out on YouTube. Um, There's some footage there of her just playing in the street, but it will literally blow your mind. She's incredible. I love her style. I just love the fact that she still sits on the corner of the street yeah. in New Orleans with uh, like her band, which I think like half of them are probably her family because they've got like kids on the drums sometimes. I and you know what I mean? And they bring in like they're bringing all the family into it and and they're just sitting there and they're playing and it's it's just incredible. And that was the first video I saw on YouTube um, yeah. was of her just playing on the street. Because and she loves it. it. She genuinely, yeah. it's in her blood, it's in her bones. She's doing it for the art. Yeah. You no, know, she'd probably, you know, she'd play if the fridge door opened, you know? <laughs> you, know you know what yeah. I mean? And I, I yeah. love that. And that's, that's real for me. And that's why. Yeah, definitely. You know, you've just got to, you can always see the 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 real from the fake right they'll just keep yeah. playing and keep going and but was it you were playing the clarinet before you actually saw Doreen though um yeah yeah so what, what I mean who influenced you to to perform this genre um it, do you know what it was just kind of like because uh, I was professional musician before but yeah. I was playing predominantly classically yeah. um and I was classically trained and I always kind of I always always loved blues and I loved sort of like the psychedelic electric blues of the 60s yeah. and you know Janis Joplin yes. um you know we yeah. were talking about Janis she yeah. is just absolutely probably one of my favorite musical artists who have ever lived um yeah. and you know I, I just get really emotionally connected to music that makes me screw my face up and, yeah, and go like oh yeah do you I know mean, what I mean I, yeah no I'm 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 obviously a big jazz and blues fan and I perform that but my heart is really in the blues there's yeah. something about that gutsy real guttural blues sound that absolutely yeah it really resonates with me and and just makes me want to I don't know explode (laughs) vocally yeah no I'm the same I'm absolutely the same and I think as well like for me the simplistic nature of the structure and the format and the chords and the key gives you as uh, particularly as an instrumentalist like I'm not having to think about crazy key changes and and, you know gives you more emotion diminished chords and and I can just fully express myself um and and that's what I love about it that's why I like it because it's less yeah it gives you room to be more emotional because I I performed a lot of jazz and at the same time I've loved that but it kind of it stilts me a little bit emotionally um, mm. Because there's so many changes, there's so many notes, there's so many where blues is less, and it just gives you that freedom. Yeah, you know? yeah, that's why I love it, and, and that's that's why, yeah, it's saying we love it for the same reason. And I was in um, rehearsals to play Janis Joplin actually before lockdown, and we had um, a read through performance with the producers, and then we amazing. So I'll have to make if you come and see the show, I'm gonna have to make sure I'm really good. <laughs> Oh my God. 
I'll definitely, enough. I'll definitely come and see the show. I'm, I'll, yeah. I, I would, I would love to see that. <laughs> I like just that the thought of being able to to see someone perform those songs live like cheap yeah. thrills like i yeah. sit there and listen to it on vinyl yeah. with a glass okay. of wine and and ev- oh. every time i still like so I c- yeah it's so it's hard fantastic. to put into words but yeah. i could just explode or implode or both like yeah. <laughs> i don't know yeah <laughs> yeah that's the gorgeous brilliant lana may hodge she really is excellent check her out and she's just such a lovely lovely woman so that's the highlights for you for series one i hope you like them and uh, we'll be back with series two next year and i'll be talking to the amazing artist soweto kinch and other amazing artists like riketa genesis and loads more plus i've got some very special guest hosts who are going to kindly step in and take over the show whilst i'm rehearsing janice Hope you have a lovely Christmas, everyone, whatever you're doing. And um, if you get bored of Netflix, then um, listen back to series one of Sisters in the Shadows. (laughs) Remember, all the musicians featured are on my Spotify Sisters in the Shadows playlist. Now, we know times are tough for everyone, but if you can please help support the Nordif Robbins Music Therapy Charity, you know they can really use it they've lost over 50% of their funds and uh, we're doing all we can to help because where would we be without music Sisters in the Shadows was presented by me Colette Cooper and is a Pod People production you can follow them at Pod People UK and it's for Thelonious Punk Productions Thanks again to the gorgeous Mikey Hansen and the gorgeous Jake Trappett for all their help. And more than anything, thank you guys for listening. You know, brilliant and believing in the show. That's incredible. Thank you. I'll see you all or hear you all or you'll hear me on January the 8th. So Merry Christmas, y'all. And have a great new year. And um, stay safe and positive for 2021. Let's hope it brings better things than 2020. Sending you loads of love. Bye.